0: Well, hello, and welcome to the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and we're back again for another episode. Hope you have enjoyed some of the other episodes, or uh, if not, then you're welcome to hopefully enjoy your first episode of the Jazz Focus. On this program, we are interested in shedding some light on some cobwebby corners, as I said the other time, of jazz history. I'm picking some. Interesting recording sessions and soloists and so forth that I like. Not uh, anything grand or um, overwhelmingly meaningful in the grand scheme of things, but just some soloists and some players that I happen to like. Today's subject is a fellow named Hilton Jefferson, and uh, the music you're hearing underneath me at the beginning of this program and at the end as well is actually Hilton Jefferson playing Round Midnight with the Fletcher Henderson Reunion All-Stars from 1956, and that's a group that's the subject of another podcast I've done that may be up already. Depends on when I get around to that, I suppose. But we're going to be listening to some small group sessions that Hilton Jefferson recorded in the middle 1940s, and uh, one session from slightly later, but uh, it fits into the narrative nonetheless. So who was Hilton Jefferson? That's not a name you might be familiar with if you're uh, anything but a pretty devoted jazz fan, or a fan of jazz from the 1930s and 40s. Uh, especially uh, the black bands of that period. Hilton Jefferson was an alto saxophonist, although he played all the other saxophones and clarinet, as you had to back then in big bands. And uh, he uh, was renowned as a lead alto player, meaning he played the first part in the big band sections. He was also an excellent soloist, and that's a little bit unusual. Lead alto players are usually not great soloists. But Jefferson certainly was. He had a particular style to his playing, that uh, really was uh, was unusual. He didn't sound like Johnny Hodges or Benny Carter or uh, Willie Smith or any of the other uh, alto players from that period. Certainly not like Jimmy Dorsey or, or or anyone else from the earlier period or that period. He had a very round sound, but kind of compact. Uh, that nevertheless. Uh, could really become quite expressive in his hands. He played ballads beautifully well, but he also played up-tempo things. He was uh, an excellent technician, as we will hear, and he had an unusual melodic sense. There were some reminiscences of the Cab Calloway band that he played with in the 1940s, late 1930s and into the 40s, who said that he was actually one of the more modern players in the Cab Calloway band, which is kind of remarkable considering the fact that uh, other members of the band included Dizzy Gillespie, Jonah Jones, Chewberry, Berry, and people like that. So he had his hands full, obviously. But they recognized his musicianship and some of his uh improvisational abilities as well he uh, he had a way of playing chromatic runs and um taking things just like a half step outside of the key but resolving it things that people weren't really doing until the bebop era but we'll talk about that as we go along a little bit about hilton jefferson he was born in 1903 in danbury connecticut so he was not from the south he was a northern fellow um A couple of sources I checked said that he went to school in Boston. I don't really know if that's the case or not, but he very well may have. He started on banjo when he was a boy and was playing professional gigs in New England on banjo, Uh, but he switched to saxophone uh, pretty quickly by the middle to late 1920s. He was in New York, and he started playing with some fairly major bands right away. By the late 1920s, he was playing with Chick Webb's band. He's on Uh, Chick Webb's first recordings. He was playing with King Oliver's band. I believe he toured with him, but he made several studio sessions, some of the victor sides that the King Oliver band did, and took very nice solos on uh, mule face blues and stingery blues, things like that, from about 1929 or 1930. And uh, he quickly became renowned as an excellent musician, a reading musician, and a soloing musician as well. So in about 1929, uh, after he left Chick Webb, he went with Claude Hopkins, and he came and went with the Claude Hopkins band several times during the 1930s. We're going to be doing a show on Claude Hopkins at some point coming up, but uh, Hilton Jefferson was a big part of that early band and recorded some very nice solos as well. And also with the later Chick Webb band, he was uh, a part, and he uh, played on some of the small group sides that backed Ella Fitzgerald on recording dates, Ella Fitzgerald and her Savoy Ballroom 8. So after uh, going back and forth with those bands, he joined Fletcher Henderson in about 1932, 33, and stayed with him for a couple of years until 1934. The band that he was in made those classic sides like Wrapping It Up and Down South Camp, Meeting," that are considered the beginning of the swing era arrangements that Fletcher Henderson developed later into the Benny Goodman style. But the band broke up in about 1934, and he went with Benny Carter. Benny Carter actually took over that band, and they were together for a little while. So a little bit after that... um, He went, uh, as I said, back with Chick Webb and Ella Fitzgerald, but in 1940 he joined Cab Calloway. This was after yet another stint with Fletcher Henderson in 1936. He played with the Christopher Columbus Band for a couple of years. And he was with Callaway for about nine years, from 40 to 49. Um, and at some point in there at the very end, the Callaway Band reduced down to about a six- or a seven-piece band. And I think Hilton Jefferson was with them for a little while. But he left in 1949 to join the house band at Billy Rose Diamond Horseshoe Club. And they stayed there. He stayed there for about two years. And then his plum assignment, he replaced uh, Johnny Hodges, he actually replaced Willie Smith, who replaced Johnny Hodges with Duke Ellington's band, and spent a year with him in 1952 to 1953. He didn't get many solo opportunities because the band wasn't recording too much at that point, although he's on uh, the first, uh, one of the first Ellington LPs and he takes a beautiful solo on The Mooch. So after that, in 1953, he jobbed around with a bunch of different bands. We'll hear he played with Panama Francis, he played with some local bands and dance bands and so forth. He actually ended up getting a job as a uh, a bank uh, messenger or a bank guard, I guess, uh, working outside of music so he could have a steady income. But he still played casual jobs and weekend jobs and things like this. He uh, recorded quite extensively, actually, in the 50s and 60s with the Swingville All-Stars, with Rex Stewart. Uh, He recorded with Jimmy Witherspoon, Jimmy Rushing. He was uh, still renowned as a great musician and a great lead player at the time. So during his Cab Calloway period of 1940 to 1949, he was... um, Used, utilized quite often in small group recordings. And we're going to hear several coming up that were done by members of the Cab Calloway band. And this is almost a band within the band, although I don't think they ever played outside gigs, although it sounds like they could have. It was a core group of instrumentalists, and they obviously had some interesting arrangements. The band went from six to seven or eight pieces, and they recorded under Jonah Jones' name several different times. It was really quite a a nice little ensemble, as we're going to see. And it always featured Hilton Jefferson and at least two, out of the four numbers that they recorded. So we're going to play a little selection of those. The first one we're going to play is uh, a Jonah Jones recording that uh, was done for the keynote label. In some of the past uh, podcasts we've done, we talked about how all of these little many labels, recording labels uh, appeared in the mid-40s and started actually in the late 30s with Commodore and Blue Note but by the mid-40s and the late 40s after the recording band was finished these little labels that were kind of specialized ones they might have specialized in blues or jazz or bebop or Dixieland or whatever um, started coming together and um, doing well or not so well depending on the label uh, but always making some interesting music Keynote uh, came about about this time, 1944, 45 or so. was founded by Harry Lim, who um, was a diehard jazz fan. And the list of people that he recorded on this label is really extraordinary. There's some wonderful CDs out. And I'm taking... Um, Several of the tracks we're listening to today from a two CD set that's called the Essential Keynote Collection for Roy Eldridge and the Swing Trumpets. Roy Eldridge is not on any of the tracks we're going to listen to, uh, but we are going to listen to some sides recorded by Jonah Jones group and a little bit later by Joe Thomas and his group. So the first tune we're going to hear is by uh, Jonah Jones and his orchestra. Nothing fancy about the name, just Jonah Jones and his orchestra. And uh, this will feature Jonah Jones on trumpet. Now Jonah was a uh, trumpet player who was really a fantastic trumpet player. He was pretty well thought of and he recorded extensively and he actually made quite a good living, especially later in his career, Um, but he never really received the accolades that he probably deserved. He was born in 1909 in Kentucky and lived until about Two thousand, I think he was lived to be quite old, um, and had a very long and storied career. Uh, he played with a number of Harlem bands in the in the late 1920s and early 30s. But his first notable association was with Stuff Smith, the violinist, and his group. And it was a small group, just usually trumpet and violin, and occasionally a clarinet in the front line with a rhythm section. And Stuff Smith was a great entertainer, and Jonah Jones was too. And that was one of the most popular groups on 52nd Street, uh, Swing Street, in the middle 1930s. After that, he went uh, a little bit with Fletcher Henderson, but he ended up with Cab Calloway for about 12 years, and he did play with the Combo after the big band folded. He even played on Broadway with uh, Cab and uh, some other people as well. Following that, he became even better known as uh, the... Stylist who was noted for muted jazz we call it cocktail jazz he was uh, uh, the regular band leader at the I think it was the embers club in New York which was a very quiet supper club and so he and the quartet which was piano bass and drums. I had to play very quietly, so he played with a mute most of the time, and somebody had the good idea to record them, and uh, his recording of On the Street Where You Live, one of the big pop tunes or Broadway tunes of the day, uh, was a big hit recording, and it led to many other recordings that that group did. So even though he was known as a really um, forthright jazz player, as we're going to hear on these sides coming up, he was a very tasty, quiet player uh, on those Embers recordings. So also in this band with Jonah Jones and Hilton Jefferson is Tyree Glenn, who was with Cab Calloway as well. He plays trombone and vibraphone, interesting little double. He played the same double with um, uh, Duke Ellington and also, uh, I don't know if he played vibraphone, but he played trombone with the uh, Louis Armstrong All-Stars later on as well. We have Buster Harding, who was Cab Calloway's piano player at the time. He also did the arrangements for many of these. Milt Hinton, a legendary bassist, who was with Cab Calloway for a very long time. And J.C. Heard, who was playing with him, uh, Cab Calloway, at that point. He had replaced Cozy Cole a couple of years earlier. So this is the Cab Calloway rhythm section. No guitar, but piano, bass, and drums, and three of their chief soloists. And we're going to hear... Uh, a beautiful ballad performance. I don't want to start out with a ballad but I just have to because this is so pretty. This is called Just Like a Butterfly That's Caught in the Rain by Harry Woods and Mort Dixon and um, Hilton Jefferson made a couple of recordings of this but this is just really really lovely. So following that we're going to go over to the BH Boogie, the Buster Harding Boogie and this was recorded at the same date but i'm going to use a different recording because almost the same band with a couple of extras went into the studios of uh, the world recording studios to cut some radio transcriptions a little bit later this recording i didn't mention of um, uh, just like a butterfly that's caught in the rain was for keynote for uh, on september 20th 1944 this next one uh, for the world transcription service was uh, on October 3rd of 1944. Very similar group. So it's Jonah Jones, Tyree Glenn, Hilton Jefferson, uh, Buster Harding, Milt Hinton, and J.C. Hurd. And there's also Danny Barker on guitar, who's with Calloway, Al Gibson, who was clarinet and baritone sax with Calloway, and uh, the legendary Ike Quebec on tenor sax. So we're going to hear the B.H. Boogie from that session. And then for number three, we're going to uh, jump ahead to August of 1945, another keynote session, one that was lost for quite a while, but um, some excellent music on here. We're going to hear for the third track, Exactly Like You, uh, the classic song by Fields and McHugh. And uh, this was done, again, Jonah Jones, Hilton Jefferson. Not too sure about some of the other people in the band, but the presumption is it's still Calloway's rhythm section. Buster Harding, Milt Hinton, and J.C. Hurd. And then the tenor saxophone player is a bit of a mystery. Doesn't sound like Ike Quebec. Um, And the supposition is it might be Joe Thomas, who has played with Jimmy Lunsford's band, who was a friend of many of these musicians as well. So, three tunes, Just a Butterfly, Just Like a Butterfly That's Caught in the Rain, B.H. Boogie, and exactly like you. Listening to some really fine mid-period or late-period swing sessions, small group sessions by Jonah Jones and his orchestra. Soon to be followed by some other great trumpet players as well. We're going to hear from, but uh, Jonah Jones is doing it right now. I slipped in an extra one. I said we were going to listen to three, we listened to four. So the fourth one we heard was another Hilton Jefferson ballad performance on You Brought a New Kind of Love to Me by Fain Cajal, and Norman. That was a tune from the late 1920s. Beautiful performance there. It was a great Benny Goodman big band record that was not done at ballad tempo, but... Um, he really, Hilton Jefferson, really really milks it, um, and beautiful playing. His solos involve such long lines. They're not choppy in any way. Even the fast tempo things, which we're going to talk about in a second, they just, they're, they, they're almost spun right out from a, from one line, like a spool of thread. It just never it never breaks. He, it seems like he never takes a breath, which sometimes is not a good thing, but I think works in this style, and certainly with Hilton Jefferson. So You Brought a New Kind of Love to Me was recorded in... Um, July. July 31st of 1945 for the Commodore label. That was a getting on to the last days of the Commodore label. They uh, had been around since 1938 and did some periodic sessions after 1945-46, but the glory days were in the past, but it's good that they brought Jonah Jones and his band in. So again, this was a, a subset of the Cab Calloway band, with one exception. Jonah Jones, Tyree Glenn, and Hilton Jefferson again. Ike Quebec uh, was the tenor sax player. He didn't solo on that one, of course, but he was uh, Cab's chief tenor soloist for this period. Dave Rivera was Calloway's piano player. We heard Buster Harding on the earlier sessions. He didn't play piano for the band, but he did arrange for it. Danny Barker was on guitar, Mill Hinton on bass, J.C. Heard on drums, and also in there in the ensemble someplace was Buster Bailey on clarinet. Buster Bailey was one of the most well-traveled and well-recorded African-American clarinet players of the 20s, 30s, and 40s. He was with every band except Cab Calloway. He never played with Cab Calloway as far as I know. So that was, You Brought a New Kind of Love to Me. Before that, we heard exactly like you from that uh, keynote session, which was lost uh, at the time. It was never issued uh, initially, but uh, it's uh, certainly worth the uh, issue. There were four tracks, and we listened to Exactly Like You, which featured another long, long-lined uh, Hilton Jefferson solo. Also some very hot, muted playing by Jonah Jones, showing where he was going in another 15 or 20 years with that uh, muted jazz style. There was also a kind of a rough-and-ready tenor sax solo there, which, as I said, was probably by Joe Thomas from the Jimmy Lunsford band, and it did sound like him with some drums mixed in there by J.C. Heard, and an excellent bass solo by Milt Hinton. Milt Hinton was also considered a fairly progressive musician with Calloway's band. If you read Dizzy Gillespie's autobiography, To Be or Not to Bop, he talks about going up to the rooftop of one of the places where they were playing and taking Milt Hinton with him and... Um, exercising some very modern jazz ideas for 1939, 1940, and uh, talking about different harmonies and things like that. And you could see that coming out in Milt's solos, especially the one uh, recorded before, exactly like you. We heard B.H. Boogie, Buster Harding Boogie, with a Milt Hinton solo using some chromatic uh, uh, redistribution in there that uh, was something that presumably he might have learned uh, on those rooftop sessions. Again, another great Hilton Jefferson, very long line solo, a trombone solo by Tyree Glenn, and a really forceful trumpet solo by Jonah Jones, showing why some people think he was, in some ways, the heir to Louis Armstrong. You know, Roy Eldridge is usually credited as being the next uh, link in the trumpet chain, but he played a very different style, as did Dizzy Gillespie. Jonah Jones. Was one of the few players maybe buck clayton and maybe joe thomas who we're going to hear in a little while who could get that kind of sense of grandeur and romance when they played um those high notes and uh, but not for the sake of high notes just for for climactic purposes so we'll be hearing a little bit more from jonah jones a little bit later so that was uh, a little quartet of sides by um, the jonah jones orchestra all featuring hilton jefferson as I said, this was really a golden time for these swing era, you know, combos, not even working bands, but the groups that were taken from other, other groups or just put together on the fly. Of course, this is when bebop was beginning, and there were some crossover in these different groups, but the, the real classic swing groups, like the ones we're hearing now and that we'll be hearing in the next set, were really uh, just an outstanding example of uh, what was going on in swing music and music in general at the time. So, we're going to uh, move on right now to three more tunes. I'm not kidding you, there are three tunes on this set. And the first two are by Joe Thomas and his orchestra. Now, Joe Thomas, and I just told you about Joe Thomas, the tenor sax player with Jimmy Lunsford. This is Joe Thomas, the trumpet player. There was a, yet another Joe Thomas saxophone player who played with Jelly Roll Morton and uh, some different people back when, but uh, we have to keep all these people straight. So, Joe Thomas, the trumpet player... Uh, lived from 1909 to 1984. He and Jonah Jones were the same age. And um, he played with a lot of great swing bands. He uh, played with the Fletcher Henderson Band in the 19... um uh, 30s, uh, the Christopher Columbus band from 1936 to 39 in that particular time period. He played with some other big bands, Benny Carter's band. Benny Carter, uh, especially like Joe Thomas's playing, it was very musical, um, very in tune, as you know, we have to say sometimes about certain players, and he was. He was a wonderful player in that sense. And his improvisations were invariably interesting and very stylistic and very much his own thing. He wasn't copying people. Right before the session that we're going to be hearing now, which comes from August of 1946, he had been playing with the Teddy Wilson band, the Teddy Wilson Sextet, and also I think he played with the Teddy Wilson Big Band at one point, too. He was really, Joe Thomas, renowned for his uh, music, musicianship, his adaptability, his soloing, his section playing, occasionally his lead playing as well. And this group uh, that we're going to hear, Joe Thomas and his orchestra, was uh, one of the last groups recorded for keynote, one of the last swing groups anyway, and it featured Joe on trumpet, Tyree Glenn again on trombone, Hilton Jefferson on alto sax, and then some some new people here. We have Bernie Layton on piano, uh, High White on guitar, Billy Taylor is on bass, and Lee Abrams on drums. And we also have Jerry Jerome on tenor sax. Jerry Jerome was an interesting tenor player. He was a white performer who had uh, played with Red Norvo and uh, the early Glenn Miller Band before going with the Benny uh, Goodman Band, where he recorded a number of really fine solos. And he later uh, went on and did many things as a soloist, but he actually got into television and started recording commercial jingles and putting bands together for commercials and things like that, and he made quite a bit of money doing that in the 1950s and 60s, and periodically he would come back to jazz festivals and doing things like that. So we're going to hear a little bit of all of these players coming up on this session from August 16th, 1946 for Keynote. Two tunes we're going to hear. One is You Can Depend On Me, followed by She Didn't Say Yes. And then after that, we're going to hear another tune called Samson and Delilah by the John Kirby Sextet, which features... Hilton Jefferson. We're going to talk about that when we get there. But first, the two Joe Thomas tunes. You can depend on me, and she didn't say yes. <laughs> is the John Kirby sextet from 1946. Now, John Kirby started as a trombone player, actually. He was uh, um, quite an interesting uh, case study uh, in in jazz history. He uh, came to New York as a trombone player, and Jimmy Harrison, the great trombone player with Fletcher Henderson, Chick Webb, and so forth, encouraged him to get off the trombone and go to tuba, because they they needed tubas more in New York, because that was the main way of providing the baseline for bands in the 1920s, and John Kirby did, and he became quite a good tuba player. In fact, he played with quite a few Harlem bands, but he ended up playing with uh, Fletcher Henderson's band from 1929 to 1935, and he did some wonderful tuba work early on, but he saw the handwriting on the wall not long after he began playing with Henderson and realized that the style was inclining towards string bass and four beats to the bar rather than two. So he bought a string bass, and he apparently took some lessons with Pops Foster and Wellman Bro, who were two of the first bass players playing in African-American bands in New York at the time, and uh, he became a a pretty good bass player. He was not, I don't think, as adept on bass as he was on tuba, but uh, he was more than adequate, and he led some great bands as well. As I said, he played with several big bands uh, after Henderson, but he started uh, playing on Swing Street in combos on 52nd Street in New York, especially at the Onyx Club. There was a band there that was led by a, a crazy man named Leo Watson, who was a singer, a scat singer, in fact, and he played, you know, tipples and various drumming type things and so forth. He was really kind of a lunatic, and people liked to go and see his show, and he put together a very good band behind him that evolved into John Kirby's Sextet after Leo Watson left. Initially, it had Frankie Newton and Pete Brown in the front line, but gradually that changed over to Charlie Shavers on trumpet, um, Buster Bailey on clarinet, and Russell Procope on alto saxophone, along with Kirby and Billy Kyle on piano, and and O'Neill Spencer on the drums. And that was the classic quintet, or sextet rather, that uh, made lots of recordings in the mid to late 1930s into the early 40s. Some chamber jazz. They're highly arranged, very intricate, very virtuosic. In some ways, they look forward to bebop. Um, We're going to be playing some John Kirby recordings on another podcast coming up in not too long. Uh, Some of the transcriptions that they made for radio transcription services. Anyway, by 1946... Um, The war apparently had taken away uh, Russell Procope, who was in the army at the time, so Hilton Jefferson was called in to deputize, at least for this one session. He didn't play with him regularly. I believe he was still with Cab Calloway. Charlie Shavers was also in the army. And his replacement was a man named Clarence Brereton, who had played trumpet with uh, the Noble Sissel Band, with U.B. Blake, and with some European groups as well. He was an African-American who was very highly thought of, and uh, he played with the Kirby Band for about a year, I guess, in 1946. So the tune that we heard was called Samson and Delilah, and uh, I'm not sure what that had to do with Samson and Delilah, but the Samson part comes from the fact that it was co-composed by John Kirby and Edgar Samson, uh, who would compose things like Stopping at the Savoy and Don't Be That Way and so forth. So that was an example of that, and we heard some Intricate playing by all horns. We heard Buster Bailey on a solo. We were cheated out of his solo on that last uh, Jonah Jones session, so we got one here. Billy Kyle did some fine piano, Clarence Burton on trumpet, and, of course, Hilton Jefferson on alto sax. We started out with two uh, tunes by the Joe Thomas Orchestra, and it has inspired me to consider another podcast for Joe Thomas. He is one of the numerous great swing trumpeters, especially African-American trumpeters, but some white ones as well, who just were never really afforded a lot of... uh Coverage or publicity for their contributions. Their their musicianship and their soloing and playing was just of a tremendously high order, but um, they weren't showy and they didn't put themselves forward for whatever reason and they probably didn't lead bands for too long at any point, so they didn't really have the name recognition that some people like, for example, Jonah Jones or Roy Eldridge or even Charlie Shavers might have had. So, Joe Thomas is really an exceptional player, as we could hear from those two tunes. You can depend on me, and she didn't say yes. So, You Can Depend on Me it was a tune by uh, Charlie Carpenter and Earl Hines, and uh, it was taken at a medium lope there. Sometimes it's taken quite fast. I believe Joe Thomas was on the Fletcher Henderson recording from 1936 or 37 that was taken a good deal faster than that. Um, if you listen to the Hilton Jefferson solo on that, particular tune, you can tell why he was regarded as a forward-looking musician. Even though he was known as a lead player and probably a pretty conservative fellow, his uh, playing on that solo really looks forward, I think, to bebop. and Didn't have to look forward very far in 1945, but just the end of his bridge, the last two or three measures, he gets into a little sequence that sounds like it could have been played by Charlie Parker, and then the last eight bars of the chorus, he starts using flat nines and some unusual intervallic things that the bebop players were starting to exploit in their solos coming up. He didn't rhythmically sound like a bebop player, or tonally for that matter, but his note choice really was quite interesting in that regard. Then we heard a tune by Jerome Kern and Otto Harbach called She Didn't Say Yes, and that's a really weird tune if you listen to it. It's 20 bars long. It has an A section and a B section, which really aren't related to each other very much, even by key. And then it comes in with a four-bar coda, which is a quote from the beginning of the A section. Very strange tune. Um, but featuring some really wonderful trumpet playing and alto sax playing as well. We also get to hear a little short solo by Jerry Jerome on tenor sax and Bernie Layton on piano. Bernie Layton was a a fine journeyman piano player and arranger. He was a a white musician who had played with some of the Dixieland players, Bud Freeman and people like that. He had played with the Benny Goodman band in the 40s. He had done a a tour of service with the Raymond Scott quintet, playing the novelty music of the Raymond Scott band. And then he had had some albums later on as well so he was an interesting player i mentioned high white he was a guitar player who had played with the early woody herman bands and he had played on some jazz dates in the 40s as well the drummer um uh what was his name his name was abrams uh lee abrams his brother was ray abrams who was one of the early bebop tenor saxophone players. He played on some dates with Dizzy Gillespie and also some Tad Dameron dates and things like that. And then Billy Taylor on bass. And Billy Taylor, in this case, was not the pianist, of course, but the bass player who had played with Duke Ellington in the 1930s. He had replaced uh, Wellman bro at one point and was a transitional bass player uh, leading to uh, Jimmy Blanton. And there was another bass player. They had two bass players for a while. So that's uh, the Joe Thomas group and the John Kirby group, all featuring Hilton Jefferson. So we're really plumbing some uh, interesting swing recordings here. I want to listen to three more, and this is a little bit different because it comes from the same recording session. And this was led by a fellow named Walter Thomas. Now, Walter Thomas was a tenor saxophone player who, again, played with Cab Calloway. We have a big Cab Calloway thing going here today. Walter Thomas and his Jump Cats is the name of this group, although a couple of the tracks were released as Coleman Hawkins with Walter Thomas and his orchestra. And uh, Thomas was a, uh, a good saxophone player. He wasn't known as a jazz player particularly. He had uh, played back into the late 1920s. He started playing with Jelly Roll Morton, uh, Walter Thomas. I had mentioned yet another Joe Thomas playing alto sax with Jelly Roll Morton. I believe that was Walter's brother. And then Walter went with Cab Calloway, uh, actually he went with the Missourians, uh, which was the pre-Cab Calloway Orchestra. Cab took that band over, um, and Thomas was featured quite heavily playing tenor and baritone sax solos in that early group, and then he's in some of the films in the 1930s, and he stayed with Cab up until about 1942 or 43, I think. After that, he primarily was a music teacher, although he, uh, worked for Joe Davis Publishing, who, uh published quite a lot of numbers by African-Americans, including a lot of the tunes that were composed by Fats Waller and Andy Razaf, And Walter Thomas was a a promoter in that regard, and he put this recording date out, I believe, uh, to uh, publicize some of the tunes that were published by Joe Davis. And the recording company was the Joe Davis Company. Joe Davis himself was a promoter uh, whose career went back to the 1910s, and he was a white uh, performer uh, and promoter who uh, had a special affinity for black music and African-American music. After he sold his publishing company, he went into producing records. Uh, He did that for much of his career. He promoted individual artists. A very interesting guy in that way. So we're going to hear three of the four tunes that were recorded on October 11th of 1944. And the personnel interesting here. Jonah Jones is back on trumpet. Eddie Bearfield is playing clarinet and alto sax. He had played with the Benny Moten Band, recording those wonderful sides in 1932 with him. And then later on, he went with Fletcher Henderson. He was with Don Redmond's band. He took over the, Chick we- or the music directorship of the Chick Webb Band after Chick passed away and Ella Fitzgerald was fronting it. Um, and he played with many, many bands. I get to hear him play in the 1980s. Uh, Right at the end of his life, he was playing with Illinois Jacquet's big band, and he was known as The Bear, Eddie Bearfield. and he was actually given a solo tenor sax feature in Illinois Jacquet's band, which was a mark of how people respected him. He was a fine arranger and composer as well. Um, It's quite possible he did some of the arrangements here, but it's possible Foots Thomas did as well, Walter Foots Thomas. We have Hilton Jefferson, And then the two tenors, Walter Thomas and Coleman Hawkins. Clyde Hart is on piano. We talked about Clyde Hart on uh, another podcast when he was uh, recording with Dizzy Gillespie. He was a transitional figure between swing and bebop. And then the bass and drums of the Cab Calloway Orchestra at the time, Milt Hinton and Cozy Cole. So we're going to hear three tunes right now. Uh, The first one is called Out to Lunch by uh, Walter Thomas. And then we hear In the Hush of the Night, by Davis, Dorsey, and Dorsey. Uh, I'm not sure which... It's not Tommy Dorsey, of course. I think it's Lee Dorsey who wrote this. And uh, I'm not sure which Davis it is either. Joe Davis, of course. It was Joe Davis. And then we're going to follow that up with Lookout Jack by Joe Davis and Higginbottom. And I think that might be Irene Higginbottom, um, the songwriter, not J.C. Higginbottom, the trombone player. He's not on this particular recording, but not sure about that either. So we're going to hear some very nice uh, playing by Hilton Jefferson, but also some truly inspiring playing by Coleman Hawkins and the other soloists as well. So three tunes, Out to Lunch, In the Hush of the Night, and "Lookout, Jack.
1: (laughs) ¶¶
0: That was definitely by J.C. Higginbottom, that composition. That shouting chorus really just kind of shows off the type of music that he played. So Higginbottom and Davis on that last one. So Lookout, that was a a blues tune, certainly. And it starts out with some interesting interplay between Milt Hinton and Cozy Cole. They had played together for many years with Cab Calloway's band, and uh, they were obviously having some fun on this date as well. The alto solo uh, by Jefferson was very unusual. Uh, his solo sometimes sounded composed, even though it couldn't have been, really, because this was a more or less spontaneous date. It was, util- he had two choruses of blues, and he utilized this strange melodic thing where he kept going back to the fifth of the chord uh, of the key and just resolving it to the fifth every time, as well as doing an interesting little chromatic thing on the beginning of the second chorus. People weren't doing that other than the bebop players at the time, and maybe Coleman Hawkins, so... Shows a little bit of why Hilton Jefferson got all these recording dates. Very interesting player. Before that, we heard In the Hush of the Night, uh, which was sort of a a dance band tune. Jefferson played the melody in the first half of the chorus. The the bridge was taken over by the leader, the tenor player, Walter Thomas, who played a very straight solo. And then the ensemble came after that, leading into a transitional passage that featured Jefferson again before Coleman Hawkins took over. And then the band went out after that with a with a sort of a composed uh, uh, soli section. And we started out with Out to Lunch, and uh, that was based on the changes of the Fiorito and con tune called I Never Knew, which was a popular jazz vehicle even then. And again, same thing, shows all of the very long-lined, spun-out ideas of Hilton Jefferson, uh... Some people played that way and it didn't work, but he made it work. The melodies just flowed right together beautifully, uh, even though there weren't many pauses in there. Willie Smith, the alto player with Jimmy Lunsford and Harry James, had a similar style, but he was much more aggressive. Uh, Hilton Jefferson was much more laid back and and almost um, detached in some ways, which I think also sort of lends... Uh, Credence to the idea that he was sort of looking forward to the next jazz school Even though I don't think he would have called himself a a jazz player in the sense of being specifically a jazz soloist He really was a, a lead alto player and a fine musician So that's our Hilton Jefferson program, save one. So I'm going to change things a little bit here. Uh, Instead of uh, doing my usual spiel over Hilton Jefferson playing around midnight the way I do on my other podcasts, I'm going to finish my spiel and have Hilton Jefferson play one more solo. And this solo is interesting. It's uh, by Panama Francis and his band. Uh, not the Savoy Sultans, which Panama Francis was famous for. This was a, a rhythm and blues record. And I actually took this off a CD called Hawkers and Bar Walkers, Volume 2. It features early rock and roll saxophone. And um, King Curtis, Willis Jackson, Charlie Ferguson. People who known as kind of rough-and-ready tenor players, honky, you know, blasty tenor players uh, playing that early rock-and-roll, late rhythm and blues style are featured here. With the exception of this one tune we're going to hear, uh, Panama Francis recorded four tunes on January 25th, 1952. Bobby Williams and Chad Collins are on trumpet. Count Hastings on tenor sax. He was kind of a rock and roll type of player. George James on baritone sax. Dave Rivera on piano. And Milt Hilton on bass, both of whom were with Callaway. And Panama Francis on drums. He had taken over from J.C. Hurd uh, in the Callaway band. And Hilton Jefferson. And this one number from this date features Hilton Jefferson all the way. It is called Darkness on the Delta. It's from the early 1930s, and uh, it's a beautiful beautiful melodic tune of the sort that Hilton Jefferson was famous for. So we're going to finish the program listening to Darkness on the Delta. But before we do that, I want to tell you my name is John Clark. You are listening to The Jazz Focus. I hope you've enjoyed this program. This one's gone on a little longer than some, but I'm having fun. I like Hilton Jefferson, as you can tell. We could have done early Hilton Jefferson and some of the big band recordings, and maybe someday we will. But this is some stuff that doesn't get played very often, and uh, it really shows off some remarkable talents of Hilton Jefferson and Jonah Jones and Coleman Hawkins and other people as well. So stay tuned. Keep checking back on the channel I will keep announcing these podcasts as I finish them I have a whole bunch in the can right now but the next one I'm going to try to do is one of Jimmy Rushing the great blues singer and uh, so much more than a blues singer, with Count Basie from the 1930s and 40s. In the 1950s, he was recording for Columbia Records under the aegis of John Hammond, and he did big band dates, small band dates, some interesting things. We're going to do a little selection of those on our next podcast. So right now, we'll leave off the talking and let Hilton Jefferson take us out with Darkness on the Delta. <music>